Hello, this is the Blast Report podcast on all things blasting. My name is Evan Tebow with New Wave Consulting, and I want to thank all the Drill and Blast teams along with those supporting them who are out there on the pattern. The production team at Blast Think and I would like to welcome you to today's episode of the Blast Report podcast. Today's guest, we wrangled in Mike Kaler. How are you doing today? Great. I, I really appreciate you being willing to be a part of the podcast here. Uh, we're still at ISEE, so we're filming, uh, not filming, recording. And um, you're going to be now, I, we don't even know what episode we're at, but I think uh, you're our fourth fourth guest on the podcast, and I really appreciate the support. Sure. We, um, like we had talked about, I really want to get an origin story. How did you get into the explosives industry? And um, I want everyone here to kind of, if they haven't met you already, who is a past president of the ISEE, uh, what's what's kind of your origin story and how you grew all the way from very beginning to becoming the president? Okay. I grew up next door neighbors with... Uh, someone who owned a drilling and blasting company and had two boys my age. So I started tagging along and going out uh, riding with their dad to projects and, and seeing things and worked with them through high school and college. Uh, after college, uh, I went to work for them for, for four years. Did you, before you went to college, were you, if they owned it and they were next door neighbors, you heard a lot of booms going on in the backyard or? No, not no? really. Okay. But they did, they, they had a farm mm -hmm. uh, that, and if they're listening to this, they'll, they'll, they'll get some chuckles out of it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we did some booms at, at the farm where there was another uh, storage site there. So we got rid of the old product i'll just say that that's awesome and so do you, do you remember like the first time you you heard the air blast coming over from your neighbors Is well that... they didn't really set it off over there so oh i see what you're saying yes a different farm site yeah at this other site but um were you a pretty young age the first time yeah, you got to visit yeah, so um very young age i remember the first time i was on a construction project that was a Eight years old, the first time stepped on. That is amazing. And I think uh, I was with some guys. Uh, I always like to introduce myself uh, from from my my early starts. Uh, assistant stemmer boy, turn pro. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when, that's when right. You're a kid. You're the stemmer. I think that's how you should start if you're going to be yeah. successful. Everyone knows says pick up that so shovel I had first. The opportunity to work on drills and drill helper and. Uh, worked with a lot of blasters. Um, I couldn't even tell you the exact number, but many blasters. By the by, the time I was 22, when I finished uh, at college, uh, I I'd already worked with with many different guys. Uh, had the opportunity then with them. They they did construction, uh, underground mining, quarries, coal, 
um, just just a wide variety. So it, it, it was a very diverse start and background. Um, I then went to work for, I'll just say it's ETI, but it, at the time it was DuPont slash ETI. They were in the, the switchover from being purchased. Um, DuPont was from, from ETI. They or they ETI purchased DuPont at that point in time. And at that point in my career, uh, I was uh, put into a position with uh, uh, a guy named Ed Kennedy, and he was the construction manager for DuPont ETI for the, for the United States. And uh, uh, it had then put me with him, and I was covering mostly New England, Pennsylvania at that time. Um, ETI started selling off then. Uh, there was very, a lot of turmoil with, with purchases and selling. So I went to work for a, a small company as general manager for one year um, because I wasn't sure what ETI was going to do. I, I was told to go move one spot, buy a house, and then they called me the day of the closing and said, don't buy that house. And so, mm -hmm. so you start to wonder, <laughs> how, how's my stability here? So, mm -hmm. so I went to work with uh, one of my customers, actually, and, and worked with them for a year. And then um, they were purchased by Austin Powder Company, the ETI sites in that, that zone. Uh, and I ended up with Austin Powder as a technical manager for uh, Eastern United States. Worked with the corporate tech group as well. And ended up in North Carolina, kind of centrally on that East Coast with them, which out of self-defense of having to potentially move again, started my own business. There you go. That was 27 years ago. So for the last 27 years, I've, I've had my own consulting firm. In the early days of, of the, the company, I did a lot more specialty project blasting and consulting, and then stepped into where now I'm mostly just consulting. I'm, I'm not doing uh, really a lot of blasting, although I, I, I do run projects. So I'll, I'll do a combination where I'll bid the job, be a contractor as far as the, the coordination of the drilling, blasting, run the whole show for, for that, uh, and also just consult the companies. I work in mining and construction. So that's that's how I got to there. The, the, the ISEE, I got on board uh, many years ago and, and uh, with the, the group as a whole, and then grew into the... Uh, board of directors and got, got on that and then into the executive board and worked your way in. Now, how was it um, as a small business? Was it uh, quite interesting coming into ISEE as a small business? I mean, you you were a member of ISE prior to starting your company? Yes. So it's very difficult with your own company because everything is you're dying. So I'm learning when, that. Yes. When, when, the, when you have a company backing you, it's so much easier. I'll just say that. So one of the things also, as you move up uh, in the board of directors, which uh, anyone who's self-employed will tell you, not only are you paying your own dime, you're not earning 
anything while you're gone. So, so mm-hmm. it's it's very costly. So it's it's a um a demanding position to do that, but it's very rewarding as well. So um, it's it's a two edged sword there. Now, is there some um I guess you know coming in and starting. When you when you decided, you know, I want a little bit more stability. I want to be at home. I want to start my own my own consulting company and blasting company. Um, that's actually something that I've done. I'm in year three now, and so when you mention that, I totally understand. So uh, when it comes to the the struggles of that, I've noticed that you know there is a lot of the very valued. Um, and dedicated members of ISE are small business owners, and you can see them throughout and end up on the board and things like that. What uh, advice do you have when it comes to first, let's say, how to navigate ISEE as a small business? If you've had to, you know, if you can think on that, and uh, probably, you know, ask on that, or if there is advice that you have towards um, small business being small business and, and consulting and how in let's say the infant ages of, of that of starting your business i guess i'll ask for more clarification from you on on the ISEE as a small business do you mean as becoming a board member or just um maybe networking within the organization or, or combination of all the above uh, yeah that's a good question i would think uh it's a good question to my question um yeah, let's let's start with the networking aspect of it. So, very beneficial uh, from the networking side. Uh, the contacts that you make are—I'll I'll just say—most of the the close friends I've had that I've made for the last thirty years have been industry friends. And they, they've all become lifelong friends that we still get together, do things outside of uh, outside of work, uh, if you will. But, but some of it may be work and play combos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a big hunt. I like to hunt fish. And so um, some of the things I've done uh, through the years, I, I did a lot of work with Crazy Horse. In, in my earlier years, they, they haven't done so, so much blasting in the last six years. That's right, yeah. Uh, so they're, they're mostly doing uh, saw cutting right now for some sensitive areas. And but years ago, um, they did a, a lot of consulting with them, so much so that I decided to open another office in South Dakota. So I had an office for uh, four years in, in Rapid City also, wow. started another drill blast company and had a couple guys that, that worked for me there. So, and that's how I, I met you out, the the, the best yes, in the West time sure frame. Is, and sure so when you mentioned the fact uh, of a crazy horse, I applied for a job with them and, uh, but I needed to commit two summers as an intern back in college. Okay. And it was one of my goals. I think it'd be one of the coolest things I think I could ever do is to be part of the part of the crazy horse project. And I think there's an entire episode that could be done just on, on crazy horse itself, but I wasn't able to get the job because I was already graduating and I wasn't going to be able to give that second summer. Yes. And, uh, that's still probably one of the few 
business regrets that I have. But okay, so so you uh, you ended up going all the way out there and um, and and networking because you became such a good your friendships and and your interests from blasting ended up you know extrapolating all the way into what do you do for fun and then so then yeah so a lot of guys out there we we still meet uh once a year to go on a fly fishing trip uh, we it, it's just just like i said it, it's it turns into lifetime friends and, and always enjoy uh any any travels i can do that i can work in uh a little side trip here and there that that's think helps you keep your sanity as, as a business owner and, and trying to uh, run yourself hard. That's that's one of the things you have to do as a business owner. And um, it, it gives you that, that break, that little bit of break. Um, so you have uh, you have the the friendship relationships that you've bought, you've made uh, were able to form uh, inside the industry. Is there do you find that because we're quite a, a giant bunch of weird and eclectic people who like to blow things up for a living and not everyone in your, let's say, um, geographical community that you've built, you know, back home is involved with it. So you can kind of relate to the fact that your life passion is explosives and and there's conversations that you can be had and stories that can be shared uh, with this community inside ISE that you, you, you couldn't share with your, let's say, a, a church community or, you know, another community that you're involved in back home. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a, a good point. That's that's why these friendships last so long. We, we communicate with each other and, and literally depend on each other sometimes. I, I I've always been open to trying to help anyone who calls me. So, so people I've met through the years, I do a lot of training. Um, so when they call, if they have a technical question or an issue, always open to, to try to help. And, and I think the colleague side of it, that those that are at say the same level of expertise or knowledge or, or may have a specialty in something that I don't know, it gives you that ability to make a phone call and double check or ask a question. And, and that's so important for, I think a lot of blasters are out on the bench, maybe hesitate to ask for that, that advice or a second opinion. And that that's one thing I would tell anyone who's out there blasting. If you have a question or a doubt, or just, just want to talk to someone on a second opinion, make the call make some friends that you meet and people that you see grab some business cards one thing in this industry and it's one of the great things i think about the ISEE is you can come in as year one new kid on the block and you can talk to the president of a company the heads of major blasting or explosives organizations and everybody wants to help no there's there's no one running the other way and saying oh no i'm not going to talk to this younger guys Anybody can talk to anybody. So we're all very open and, and want to help someone. It's a, it's a small community and, and, and we all want to see people coming up to fill our shoes at some point. Yeah, it's an insanely small community. 
um, you know, somewhat incestual sometimes, and but that's that's okay. And, and the the friendships there, and then that forms into mentorships as well. So the you know, and and that's not just necessarily mentoring in an age wise, but people want to mentor your business progression and foster the business growth too, because they like to be a part of that. Sure. And I think that I very much experienced that starting out as a, a student years ago and and continuing to to grow uh in the industry myself um through different forms you know different companies themselves and my own and um would you would you speak on maybe something when it comes to how to navigate the ISEE itself would you like so as we're talking like in committees and and you know getting in how to get involved actually not just come to the conference and to be a member right because sure. a lot of people can come and be just a, a blaster right and, and and go to the blasters weekend and they don't want to come to the technical sessions so they only come to the blasters weekend or it's vice versa there's a lot of people who only come to the conference and not the blasters weekend so can you kind of give some advice on yeah, that it's i think a personal preference thing but one of the things that gets lost in the mix here a lot is, is the local chapter. So these local chapters are where I've done a lot of um, networking and, and friendships have formed. Also, for many, many years, I've made the circuits from Penn State, Kentucky, um, Best in the West, and, and there's there's others to go to. But, but I, those there were certain ones I, I was speaking at every year Penn State, um, Potomac, these, all, all these certain ones that I would go year after year after year and speak. And you, you, you just become, I think, uh, part of the wallpaper. <laughs> everyone expects you to be there. They all are, are, hey, are you coming? And sometimes you can't make it. You got a project. You got this going on or that going on. But for the most part, for, for decades, I've, I've made that circuit speaking it, not only the international, but, but this chapter. So if someone doesn't have the opportunity to get to the, the international, they can, they can still get the same effect from a chapter. And if you're at the international, I think it's, um, the blasters weekends. Great. It's, it's a good time to get, uh, uh continuing ed for, for your blasters license. But again, it's, it's making a lot of new friends, a lot of, uh, acquaintances. As all conferences, there's a large portion of the learning goes on in the hallway mm -hmm. or out at dinner or at the bar that night and everyone talking. That's that's where one guy relates his story underground blasting and another guy's telling a story about uh, something they did in a coal mine. And, and it's a it's a diversity of people getting together. That, that's what's good about it. Well, it, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. You have the technical sessions, you have the continued education that happens, and um, you definitely have the the socials and the events that happen after. And that indirect training can't really be quantified. You know, when you're trying to when you're trying to convince someone what is what is the worth of now I'm missing my job. Uh, um, there's cost of going to a conference, whether it's a local conference or even 
even uh, the the meetings. Sometimes there's like a a seasonal meeting that happens in you know Nashville sure. that and it's only two hours away, and you got to kind of justify just going out out to that event. Um, Whereas the cost and time, and then the cost it's taking from your business, like you mentioned before. Yeah. But it, so it's really hard to kind of justify that to someone, especially your your own business owner. But if you're a larger company and trying to convince your boss to let you go to that, that's different than when you you are the business owner and you you value it. You know the value is meeting and educating in the yeah. hallway and talking to those people. That that's I think I've learned a lot of my career yeah. there. In yeah, that so aspect. one of the one of the things you also do in, in, in the career uh, path is, is meet some interesting characters. And I got I got a short story about one guy. I was uh, at the time I, I was trying to work with some old timers, and this was many years ago, and get them to switch from dynamite to blast break, which was a Dupont. ETI product. So the old timer was it a water gel? It, it, yes. Yeah. Okay. It was a water gel, and it was they originally had Tovex, and then they they got this blast rate, which was a cap sensitive product. For so I'm working with some guys doing trenching and small close in construction blasting, and some some larger highway work, and they did not like the product because um, <laughs> they trusted new diamond. Mm -hmm. So I was working with this one guy, and and I got some stories I'll have to tell you off the air. But but there was one um, <laughs> with one guy that we, a later episode. <laughs> yes, later episode. The midnight special. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so so we were. Uh, I, I was traveling with these crews, staying in hotels, traveling around, and I meet this guy named Murray, and all the the crew called him Earthquake Ernie. Maybe not such a good nickname <laughs> these days, but at the time it was, uh, it, 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 it fit him well and it fit him in his past. So, so I'm out on a job and I'm trying to get him to switch to this new newfangled water gel product. And he looks at me and he said, you young whippersnappers, you and your, your highfalutin products and your your delay timing detonators he said that interstate you drove in on today i shot that whole interstate on zeros <laughs> so he, he shot the whole road he said he would do workload all day and set the shot off and everything detonated at the same time it was all on zeros no timing delay so that gives you a little insight oh my yeah. And, and why we have blasting regulations, <laughs> why there are entire companies at this conference who are paid to do vibration monitoring because of earthquake, earthquake Ernie. Earthquake <laughs> Ernie. Um, yeah. So that, and that's the way it was some, and, and I think it's, uh, um, a, a little bit humorous on one side where, where I try to speak to classes today and I say, it's, it's not, uh, blasting is not the, the image that was portrayed in the Westerns and the, the John Wayne movies. And mm -hmm. I said that recently at a, at a training class and every head in the room looked at me like, who's John Wayne? Oh no, that's, that's and, and I said, okay, Clint Eastwood. And they still didn't know. Oh no. And then, so then I said, maybe 
Maybe I'm getting towards retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just heard a story from Jerry Wallace about a guy who was uh, meeting John Wayne on a boat, and that's going to be another episode, but a blaster himself. I've heard that. You've story. heard that story? Yeah, I'm Jerry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so I try to, again, going back to how it used to be, that's why a lot of blasting has a bad name, because there weren't delays used, there weren't design in the blast it was just letter loader high let her fly let it go loader so, high let her fly yeah um, i've heard that we're not we're not the hollywood depiction at this point we're we're we come into town and don't want anyone to know we've been there so so that's that's our our modus operandi at this point we we try to be as quiet and as non-violent with our blasts absolutely yeah. not too many you wouldn't really be able to earn it nickname called earthquake ernie these days you know these days would not fit well yeah. wow i could only imagine uh what fly rock would look like at that level you know a full-on construction shot shot at one delay you know delay the whole, every hole at the same time. that makes spectacular blasting videos um i'm sure he wasn't recording any of them at the time back then no that didn't that didn't exist but I, I mean the video the video roundup this year yeah. i mean you can really tell just since i've been in the industry how those videos have progressed and you know just the amount of control and and sure. technology that's been in, involved in and level of details that the blasters have have gotten to um the drilling improvements on every level you can see it in the videos and you, you you see some of them are quite boring blasts i would say yes they, they, anticlimactic. they're that's, very anticlimactic that's, that's, that's what i try to explain i i do a lot of uh, work with with companies trying to get permits for for quarries for mining operations and even uh construction projects to calm the neighbors and that's where I can take in some of those anticlimactic videos and say, here's what really happens. It's not the John Wayne effect anymore. It's not rocks coming through your neighborhood. It's it's very controlled. And it, it it very much calms calms people. Um, I once was on a job, a construction project, and it was very very tight quarters in a historic historic town and. It was all Civil War history, and they happened to have the Historical Society right beside the site that needs shot. And it's wow. sinking down for a new courthouse in this historical town. And you could literally look at multiple homes that were the homes of these historical personnel. One, one of them, I'll, I'll name the town, it was, it was Lexington, Kentucky, or Lexington, Virginia, I'm sorry, Lexington, Virginia. Okay. And Stonewall Jackson's house was, you could see oh, it wow. from, from where I was at, at the job where we were blasting. I was run, managing the project. And I went to the historical society who was two structures over. And these are all 1700 and even some 1600 structures around us. Gas line in the road, water line in the road. And when we're sinking this deep, foundation for this new courthouse and the head of the historical society 
he came to me and he said, uh, we, we knocked on the door and went in. He said, what are you doing next door? I said, we're going to have to blast a rock out. We just, I just went for public relations to talk to all these neighbors. Most of them were law offices and uh, things like this, the, the, the historical society. He said, son, I'm a retired federal judge. And if you so much as put one stick of dynamite in the ground over there, I'm going to sue you personally. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, well, sir, I, I hope I can change your mind. I, I'm, I'll, I'll be back and, and I'm going to bring some, some video for you to watch. And I, I'd like to have some more discussion with you. All right. All right. So we were in the process of getting all the pre-blast surveys done and you know, he kept looking I'm like, you can do all you want for surveys, but you're not going to be doing any blasting here. And so, so long story short, we, we, we get the, the project finally moving forward. I took him some videos, showed him the anticlimactic. I said, sir, this is how it's actually going to be. It's not going to tear your building. It's, it's down. It's, it's not going to even, even phase this, this old plaster. I said, we, we have, here's the, the vibration limits. For historical structures is 0.5 inches per second it's not going to exceed that level i'm here to guarantee that make sure that happens for you that this never it never gets above this end so he started to come around started to come around some and i said i would like this is one way to calm a neighbor if you ever get it and, and you have to use your best judgment with this but i asked him to come over and push the button for the first shot it's awesome that so is he came over <clears throat> I showed him what we did. I said, you can come watch us load, see what happens. Uh, we'll, we'll do a very small blast here, just, just a few holes to show you what it does. Set the shot off. He set the shot off. And you know, the big smile. The, Love. Oh, my goodness. This is all it does? Yes. Yeah, that's, this is all it does. And here's the reading. It's 0 0.1 at your structure and this. And mm -hmm. Next thing we know, you know he's, he's bringing us over. Uh, bottles of water in the afternoon to make sure we're not thirsty and so what, what a turnaround and that what a turnaround with your neighbors but those are the kind of situations that hopefully you can 180 someone who's against plastic who's going to go from personally suing you yeah to bringing you some water ball there's a there's a woman that was complaining on some blasting uh to me and we kept saying we want some of her fried chicken like the the goal of my project is to is to fix the relationship so much that at one point she brings us over fried chicken. So in my opinion, I didn't yeah. do a good job because I didn't get the fried chicken, but she doesn't, she told us to, we don't have to come say anything to her anymore. She's like, yeah. we know what you're doing. We appreciate you. You know, you don't have to bring that little box out here and yeah. put it in our yard. You know, you dug that hole enough, honey, yeah. you know, something like that. But well, that's awesome. I really appreciate you coming on to this episode and, and, uh, coming onto the podcast and, and sharing the story. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blast Report podcast. I want to thank the team at Blast Think for producing this show. And please follow along for more episodes in the future and share this podcast with your colleagues so we can continue to honor our industry and the people in it. Be safe and have a blast.